I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Sean Dyche versus dancing. A grisly turn of events for Chris Wilder's Sheffield United DNA. Jonathan Pierce in his absolute pomp. The Meza Urzil of public transportation. A footballer's name in something. Ketchup bottles as analogies for strikers suddenly released from their gold routes. A big test for the old like a new signing classic. Get Premier League years on the GCSE curriculum now. What is the sting that gets taken out of a game? And Andy Gray on headbutts. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and on the adjudication panel this time it is of course Charlie Ackleshare. How are the things? Things are good. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. Alongside you, David Walker. How you doing? Yeah, very good. Excellent. Glad to have established all of that. Let's launch into the adjudication panel. Uh, we start really where we ought to start uh, with Sean Dyche and his latest kind of mini mission against modern football, even in victory as he talks about Lewis Dobbins' first Everton goal. The reaction was what I was most pleased with. His reaction, authentic, no nonsense, dances and all that. Not for me, as you can well imagine. The authenticity in his reaction, scoring a goal, was so pleasing. No silly dances and all the nonsense that everyone gets up to, in my opinion now. A group of people working very hard for a result. But the authenticity of his reaction, the dances and all that nonsense, not for me, that. Just go and enjoy the moment. And you watch his performance, I mean, his reaction, and you watch the team behind him all go and gravitate towards it. That's when you're on something, in my opinion, because it's real, it's authentic. Charlie, a real window into the reality of having to give sort of multiple post-match interviews to various outlets, in-house and otherwise, and making the same point over and over. Now, usually in this, in this scenario, they're making points about the referee or something and you think they, they just they want to keep making that point until it snowballs into a controversy but this time it's a bit of a forced one to keep having to do each time I think he must feel really strongly about it because if he did it he, you know he might drop it after the first one but he's probably he wants to keep making that point I do wonder as well if they're just it's so ingrained in them they're so good and able to just say the same thing three or four times yes it's an incredible skill like we'll go to a press conference and you'll see a manager speaking about god wow that was that felt really raw and then you'll be alerted to the fact that he's literally said the same thing verbatim five ten minutes earlier in a sky interview or whatever well exactly Dave there are you know, there are lots of ways that we can talk about. I mean, I, I think it's an underappreciated thing that managers have to have the same interview every time and ask get asked the same questions by about four or five different media outlets after a game. Conversely, when you hear about managers having said something in the heat of the moment, and then it turns out they said the same thing yeah. to five different interviewers and clearly had a bit of a time to breathe in between, it kind of undermines that argument a little bit, perhaps? Not only he said he's made the same point four or five times, in exactly the same way yeah that was my favorite bit to the point where you must think how much thought has he put into this ahead of time or has he written it down or is it like if i was doing that i'd like to think that i would even just purely even just for my own amusement try and 
subtly change it, the yeah. words each time or something. I don't think he expects people to be sort of producing it to clip form and putting it all together in one package. Maybe he doesn't realise that that might happen. That's a fair but point. But it's an incredible skill. Like it's, um, it's like an actor or a stand-up pretending that they're doing something for the first time. And I've had, like, I've done an, I've done an interview and, and they will say something. They'll sort of be like, do you know what? It's one of those where, and you're like, okay, wow, that's really, he's sort of clearly locating the thought here. And then you'll go type it up and write it up. And you're like, he has said, he said this exact thing in an interview like two or three years earlier. But it's like, but you, you fooled me. You really made it seem like you were thinking in that moment. It's, it's very impressive. Let's, um, let's try and reduce this. Uh, I, 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 by no means is this a rant. But um, there's there's an element of self awareness to it, which I which is I appreciate, and and that there are you know there's no real collateral damage to this to this at all. But um, um, let's try and reduce this dice piece into its purest essence. We can go halfway with this. No nonsense dances and all that. Not for me, as you can well imagine. No silly dances and all the nonsense that everyone gets up to, in my opinion now. The dances and all that nonsense. Not for me, that. Listen to the delivery of it. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go one step further now and, and just really get to the, to the nub of it. Dances and silly dances and dances. This is the little twist of the head. The look to the side is amazing, yeah. It's, uh, dances. Dances. What's good as well, and what does suggest he's been desperate to get this on the chest for a while, is not that this contradicts him because he's saying it's authentic, but it's not as though it's a kind of understated reaction. Like, the celebration, he, he really goes for it. You know, it's not yeah. a sort of... Like, what one might think that Daishi wants is a kind of, you know, back in my day, we used to shake hands and walk back to the halfway line. Like, that's not what happens here at all. This is still a kind of, you know, a, 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 it's not unfeasible that some managers would say, you know, why is he knee sliding? Does he have to <laughs> knee slide? You know, I'm sick of players knee sliding. Just yeah. walk back, shake hands. We need someone to, to go back through the Everton... Uh, catalog, or, or or maybe further back in Daish's career, like is there a specific celebration that's pissed him off? One of his players, or or against him, a, a team that scored against him and did a silly celebration. There's got to be an incident. This there's the straw that broke the camel's back. Surely, to be fair, there was a semi-serious point context behind it, Dave. It was that it, to him, it demonstrated Everton's unity and the fact that they're not mucking about. That they're they're, they're they're honest men going about some hard work. And so the reaction to the goal where they all chased after Dobbin and essentially sort of smothered him was, a, was an authentic reaction, to mm. use his word. So it, it, it was a, a sign that the club were all pulling in the same direction rather than mucking around. So I, I, I kind of sympathise with it because it's clearly what's happening. But um, it just felt like an odd preoccupation for him to have after what felt like the second of two big victories in the space of a few days. But anyway, Charles Gallagher's in touch next, as with a few people about this one. Charlie, quick quiz before we hear Simon Brotherson on Match of the Day talking about Sheffield United versus Liverpool in midweek. What's the physical test you could perform on someone to check how much they get a particular club? Cut them open? Yeah, and they would bleed them. Simon Brotherton talking about um, Chris Wilder and his first game back as Sheffield United manager. Went a little bit too far, I think. Big welcome for Chris Wilder. Sheffield United very much his club. I think if you cut him in half, chopped him up, it would say Sheffield United. It runs through him. (laughs) Got very dark there. I mean... um, Charlie, let's let's not be dis- disingenuous about this. This is clearly he's using the sort of Brighton Rock variant of the <laughs> of the analogy where you where you cut someone in half and then they read the club's name throughout. But chopping them into pieces wouldn't help because that would jumble all the letters up. So that wouldn't work. <laughs> Last thing you want to do. <laughs> God, awful. Don't do that. Next up, hot on the heels of John Major, bit of bothing the results of the 1997 general election. Here is Ali McCoist being asked about Bruno Fernandes' penalty failure against Chelsea last week. 
11 minutes gone, chances both ends. And just for clarity, Ali, and on the basis that we know you may change your mind on this in a few no, minutes, I'm, but I'm, are we saying bad penalty or good save? Good save. Okay. Well, a little bit of both, but sir, you're I'm changing not, your mind no, already. I'm not, no, I'm not. I'm leaning towards a better save than a poor penalty. You're coming for me tonight, aren't you? I'm completely confused. <laughs> Is it possible to resist? Charlie, yeah. they just cannot resist. Well, it can't ever be. Yeah, it can't ever be entirely one. That's the closest. That McCoy's response is the closest I've ever got. Uh, I've, I've ever heard. It's, it's very definitive initially. He shocked himself, Dave, didn't he? What have I done? Yeah. I've committed too far. <laughs> he should have stuck with it. Should have stuck to his guns. I think it was a good save. It was a good save. It was good goalkeeping. He read the read the run up as a goalkeeper should be doing these days. Right. Another firm favourite of ours. Here's Jonathan Pierce. This was sent in from Mike Ward. Uh, deep into the second half of Tottenham versus West Ham last week, Jonathan Pierce absolutely in his element, running the show. Ten to go. If West Ham win, they'll have four away victories in this season's Premier League, as many as they won in the whole of last season. But plenty of slip, twixt, cup and lip, as my old granddad used to tell me. Tom White, manager of Wickham Wanderers between the wars. Long Tom. Loved him. Used to talk about football, balance me on his knee and feed me Guinness. I loved him. Here's Tottenham on the edge of the penalty area. Ollie Skip loses possession. And Ben Davis, was he fouled by Bowen? No, referee says play on. It's cleared away. Difficult for him to balance me on his knee. I was 18 at the time. Basuma <laughs> uh, has it. Send a circle. I'll have a try and let you know. <laughs> Uh, skip rather back towards uh, Basuma. Now, I'm not sure what was the most kind of fitting part of this. Was it the fact that he um, quoted a proverb first coined in the third century BC by Hellenistic Greek poet Lycophron? Or was it the fact that one of his distant relatives was a proper football man, which feels so right for Jonathan Pierce's lineage, I think. Mm. I, 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 to the point where I, th- I think I maybe knew this. But even if I didn't, it just feels so right that his granddad was a manager of a club and yeah. he's called Long Tom and he had a nickname and it just it imbues him with a football capital that no one else has. Yeah, it's, it's in the blood. Um, yeah, he was, but he had no choice. It was, it was part of his upbringing. I mean, the best bit about that is obviously is just knowing even once he's moved away from it, he, he's going to come back. But how is he going to go back to it? And I was—I did not see that uh, that eighteen joke coming. So fair play. <laughs> yeah, it's very wedding speech delivery of that mm. actually. Mm. But um, Dave, to the original phrase that he suddenly pops up out of nowhere. There's many a slip twixt the cup and the lip without a shadow of without giving him. <laughs> what What does that mean? What does yeah. that proverb? What do you think it means? There's Set. many a slip twixt the cup and the lip. There's uh, more than meets the eye. Is it? So you, like, don't get ahead of yourself. Till you've Basically, got yeah. the job done. Yeah. You know, it looks like it's a done deal, the cup going to the lip, but things can still go wrong. Don't All count your chickens happen. before they hatch. Yeah, that is basically it. Uh, but yeah, just just tremendous. Just tremendous. But owning owning the broadcast, Dave, in a yeah. way that many other broadcasts couldn't do. And but not not, I think, overstepping his mark. I don't think he was It's it's quintessential Jonathan Pierce. And I think I've said this before on the pod. I think if I had to re- choose my sort of all time favourite commentator, it, it would be Jonathan Pierce. Uh, he's I, for the capital gold Dave. Because yeah, I mean exactly. That's when I basically my sort of formative years of, of of learning about football and hearing him on the radio but he is 
Yeah, he's brilliant. He loves the sort of family element of football as well. I remember there was a match of the day, and this was before the podcast. It would have been so ripe for us, but a friend of mine sent it to me on match of the day. They cut to like a, a boy and his father, and it's on like a you know a cold Christmassy festive game, and he just cut. And I think they're sort of together, sort of huddling up, and Pierce goes, "Oh, lovely to see, warm and snug." It, it, there's a real heart to Jonathan Pierce, it, like yeah. no question about it. But what I love most about it was, I mean, he said it twice, but the second delivery of it was so good. I loved him. I <laughs> loved him. And he, and you, he believed every syllable of that as well. Yeah, well, football and family is, yeah. is him, isn't it? Yeah, great guy. Absolutely great guy. Now, here's a slight puzzler. This was Jack Kessler. This came from listener Tom. Jack Kessler writing in the London Evening Standard about the ongoing woes of recently opened transport line, the Elizabeth line. He says it's swiftly becoming the Mesut Ozil of public transportation. When it's on, one marvels at the skills, speed and precision delivery. When it isn't, one ends up stuck in a dark, freezing train carriage somewhere outside Old Oak Common with fellow passengers urinating on the seats. This is so amazingly timed. I know I often say this, but like our listeners, how insane they are. I was having a discussion with my brother and sister only yesterday about the merits of the, merits of the Elizabeth line and getting to Heathrow Airport. My I'll brother say to rec- chat. My, great my, stuff. It was great. My brother had recommended it to me, but I'd actually had not that great an experience. And I was quite excited because, you know, the hack of getting to Heathrow without having to do Heathrow Express or just sitting on the Piccadilly line. It's like, great, Lizzie line could be it. But I was really, I really thought it would be good and it would be slick and it was slow. It was really busy. I was quite disappointed. Yeah. It's a shame. Hasn't hit the ground running. That's sad to see. The analogy, I think it starts off quite well. The first part of the Mesut Ozil bit is fine. It makes sense, but I don't really get the, the second I, I part think it's quite it funny falls how away. It's, <laughs> yeah, I think bit. it's quite funny how it unravels, actually. I think that's part of the gag. But uh, I'm just more concerned, Dave. With the, this is the first time I've ever seen Mesut Ozil deployed in this manner, but I guess it kind of works because he was pigeonholed in the latter years of his career as a divisive figure. So I guess it kind of works for something that, you know, on its day is great. And when it doesn't work, fuck it off. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we might have gone a bit too soon. I think the Elizabeth line will will come again. I don't think we've... I don't, Give it time! Yeah, it's got I gel so. with the rest yeah. of the transport yeah, network. exactly, yeah. Charlie, is it just playing to the London Evening Standard crowd, do you think, this one? Maybe. I mean, as well, Ozil was the kind of the ultimate style over substance, wasn't he? Sort of that that, that was part of why he was so divisive. So, yeah, I, I guess there'll be a lot of gooners reading this. Well, that gently eases us into the latest instalment of Footballer's Names in Things. Here's Alex Simpson with a footballer's name in something. Here is 070 Shake on a track from her album Modus Vivendi. And I think it's surely, surely the only song ever written about scouting an England under-21 centre-back for Tottenham ahead of a 2005 January transfer window swoop. I love it. I really love it. It's just the right. It's just the right pitch of player as well, Charlie. It's just the right, like known but not spectacularly well known enough for his name not to be weird to pop up in a random song. It's also the way it's said. Is you can imagine a foreign manager whose English isn't their first language pronouncing it in a just slightly not how we're used to and, and that's how they do it maybe Conte also you know to get more surreal Dave the idea of there being a song about a scout going to watch Michael Dawson they're just celebrating the fact I'm watching Michael Dawson he's going to be quite something in this chat Andy Reid on the B side maybe yeah mm. yeah 8 million pound double swoop that was so yeah 
really should be involved. Now, uh, you may recall last week we talked about uh, Italian commentator Nicola Rogero, whose one of his favourite phrases, Charlie, was the umbrella in the cocktail, mm. which is um, his equivalent of the icing on the cake, which we kind of broadly agree was probably more accurate for that scenario than icing on the cake, because cakes already should be iced. Um, Elizabeth Barnard, the great Elizabeth Barnard, was watching Fulham versus West Ham on the US coverage. And uh, Fulham's fifth goal in the 5-0 win was umbrella in the cocktailed, she said. So it's it's reaching oh, really? Anglophone football commentary. Great to see. Has to be a mm. Tuesday's listener, though, surely. And what has been a fabulous day for them. The umbrella in the cocktail for Fulham. Meanwhile, in Serie A, this is Luka Jovic scoring for Milan against Atalanta this weekend. Patrick Kendrick on commentary duty. Pulisic, it's gone all the way across, and Luka Jovic. The goals are flowing now. He's shaking up the ketchup bottle. Got the goal against Frosinone, and it's two in two. And suddenly, Milan have a new weapon in the final third. I mean, Dave, where do we start with this? I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about the phrase itself. But, you know, having gone what looks like 12 games without a goal for Milan this season, then scoring two in two, I I don't think that would even meet the potential, you know, preliminary threshold for shaking the ketchup bottle. Why not? Well, the flood, you know, his his personal season wide floodgates are not open yet, are they? Two in two. Well, but if there's I... been a, if there's been a difficult period, this analogy came out a few years ago because Iguain revealed that Ruud van Nistelrooy had said it to him that Iguain was going through a difficult time, and van Nistelrooy right. said, "Don't worry, goals are like ketchup bottles. You shake, 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 and nothing comes out, and then eventually it will all fly out for you." How interesting! How interesting! And so I think this does just about meet that threat. I think. I mean, obviously you'd want more, but I think two and two does suggest, you know, that those words of wisdom have come to pass. Uh, Patrick Kendrick's got in touch, Dave, with some extra context. He says, Luka Jovic had been a long goal drought before scoring his first for Milan the previous week. He then made it two and two. Once I said the goals are flowing now, I immediately thought of Cristiano Ronaldo's analogy and ketchup came gushing out of my mouth. I'm normally more of a London buses man for my sins. (laughs) I mean... William Horseman sent this in, Dave, and he answered many questions about this particular phrase. Usually one shakes up the ketchup bottle to increase the flow of ketchup. Does he mean the goal has improved the flow of the game? No. He's no. talking about the personal player's individual goal mm. tally. That's fine. No problem. I'm all right with that. Do people even shake ketchup bottles anymore, William Horseman asks Charlie. I, I mean, me personally, I'm more of a squeezy plastic bottle man. So, Well, m- most people are, yeah. yeah. But, I, but I think that sp- people still know, people still have those memories of those glass bottles. And they were a pain. That, w- that was something that happened. More likely to find a glass ketchup bottle in a pub or restaurant or, or calf or something. Yeah. So I think it still still do have those situations sometimes. It does often, if it's a particularly full bottle, lead to a situation where you've got too much ketchup on the plate. Well, yeah. This is why I would... Yeah. So how does that can't work? Many goals. <laughs> <laughs> he can't stop scoring at the moment. He's shaken the bottle too much and now it's poured. There seems to be a broad level of sympathy for you, Patrick Kendrick, for this. It works on both an historic level. There is precedent for it and quite evocative too. So... Long may that one continue. Right, here's one from the recently discovered Insta DMs. This is Tommy. He says, The Athletic described Christopher Nkunku's imminent return for Chelsea as being like a new signing, Charlie. Surely, since Nkunku hasn't yet played a competitive game for Chelsea since he joined in the summer, he actually is still a new signing. (laughs) A rare situation for this. And I suppose, yeah, you can't really argue with it. He is still a new signing. Yeah, though, is... Do you think this far in? I mean... He's a recent signing. If he's a new signing still, 
I don't know when that expires, but this far into the season... I think if you haven't made your competitive debut, then you're still in this kind of stasis, aren't you? Mm, you, ha- you're, you haven't unwrapped, you haven't you haven't unboxed your new product. Do you think it would sound jarring, though? It was like, and they, they give a debut today to new signing Christopher and Kunku. Oh, yeah, of course it would. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, would sound odd. That. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think you would say summer signing, which would... Which would be slightly slightly better but uh, yeah i completely agree with 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 tommy for sending this one in it, it yeah like like a new signing he is a new signing he's a big signing that hasn't played yet quick sanity check though charlie is the common usage of this phrase for players who have already established themselves for the team but have just been out for ages and then come back or is it usually for new signings who still haven't played yet and then come back the former yeah, Definitely. yeah, just yeah, just yeah. making sure yeah, yeah. that I haven't completely balls this one up. No, okay. No, no, no. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Next up, an announcement that Dear England, where Joseph Fiennes plays Gareth Southgate on stage, is reaching cinemas in January. And to promote this, Charlie, they played um Fiennes' monologue as Gareth Southgate. And uh, I think he gets dangerously close to nailing the voice. There are parts of it that are exquisite. Let's hear it. Dear England. I can't possibly hope to speak for an entire country, but I would like to share a few things with you as we begin this journey. I tell my players that what they are a part of, what we are all a part of, is an experience that lasts in the collective consciousness of our country. Now, Charlie, let's set aside for a moment that it is a, you know, it is a dramatisation. Apart from that, obviously, you know, he's going to have to talk in a particularly theatre kind of way. But other than that, how close does he get to Southgate? He's really good. I mean, Dave and I have both seen the play and I think right. we're, both, we're both very impressed. I mean, it's, what you see in that clip but don't hear, some of his hand gestures are amazing. He does right. this one with his hand that he moves forward, which is such a Southgate-y thing, which I'd never thought of before I, seeing it. I'm not familiar with any Southgate-y hand gestures. Is this yeah. kind of mid-game or when he's talking? I think it can be either, actually. But there, when he does, it's just a, it's a quite gentle, but it's just a sort of push forward. But that, I think he captures the essence. But yeah, I, I think he's finds nails him. It's really honestly, it's a really good performance. It is, it is a good performance. And when I when I saw it, I did come away sort of waxing lyrical about uh, finds his performance. But I think, especially when you when you're just listening to the voice, the only criticism or slight criticism I had of the performance was that sometimes the voice went a little bit Frank Spencer ish. <laughs> it's a little bit camp and a little bit like it's just a. He hasn't quite pulled it off. But the, the, the most amazing thing about the performance, as Charlie said, is he's got the mannerisms, the head tilt, the hands. He looks very much like him. I think he's got I think he's got a little bit of like sort of prosthetics, but like basically yeah. he looks very similar to him. And he, when you see it live, you see it on screen or whatever, he is Gareth Southgate and he makes the whole things work. But if you isolate the voice to, to pick holes in it, I just think sometimes it just goes a bit too far. Oh, but there are, there are, little tiny moments of that monologue where I think he absolutely gets it just right. I mean, it's it's not an easy voice to even describe to someone, Charlie, but I mean, for example, when he says the word journey, and then there's a slight inflection (laughs) at the end. It's sort of almost like he's sort of offering it to you rather than telling you. And it's so Southgate. It's like, and it's a very specific kind of accent as well. Like, I Crawley, is it? He's born, he grew up in Crawley, yeah, I think. Yeah. I think he was born in Watford, actually, but I think right. he grew up in Crawley. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, this, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's just, 
yeah, it's just excellent at moments. Right, that's half time for the Clichés pod. We'll be back very shortly. Welcome back to the Football Clichés podcast. The adjudication panel continues apace with this. Andy Bell has got in touch with a story about the moment he encountered a 13-year-old Charlie Eccleshare. Here we go. All right, Adam. Uh, Not a cliche per se, but a story I think you'll enjoy. So I'm a maths teacher at secondary school for my sins. And I was teaching me year nine class the other day, so what, uh, 12, 13 years old? Teaching them the other day and a question came up. Uh, regarding mixed doubles. They didn't know what it was, so I explained it's a, it's a tennis tournament where one man and one woman plays in each team. And then he didn't know if Scarlet was a, was a man's or a woman's name, so I said, have you not heard of Scarlet Johansson? And one of my year nines popped up saying, did he not used to play for Charlton? And I was like, right, well, no, that's Jonathan Johansson, but how the fuck do you know who that is? Obviously, I didn't say fuck. And he said, I've been binge-watching Premier League years. 12 years old, binge-watching Premier League years. It, it absolutely made my week. <laughs> it's like your origin story or something. That That is amazing. And do you know a parallel to that of, of sort of thinking that some minor footballer is more is to them more recognisable than a massive name? I remember my brother having a teacher called... Mr. Hitchcock and him being like oh yeah that's you know quite funny given you know the name and how there's a famous person and I was like oh what Kevin Hitchcock <laughs> the the Chelsea reserve goalkeeper was like no I was thinking Alfred Hitchcock I was like oh right yeah <laughs> but Kevin Hitchcock to my nine-year-old self was a much bigger name equally solid cultural references to me as far as I'm concerned um uh, throw in the tennis there Dave and you really do have a really echo-sherry kind of window into a into a life absolutely it's perfect. Couldn't you could not have written it any better? Credit to Andy Bell. Yeah, a quick word for Andy Bell for the storytelling there, because what I think is a, a seven out of ten story has been delivered in a nine out of ten way. So yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yes, agreed. Incredulity at the end. He's been watching Premier League years. <laughs> right. Next poser comes from John Keogh, who is having a big long debate with his friends on WhatsApp about which Premier League clubs you could prefix with the, but in a very specific context. It's a very niche topic, he says. I think everyone knows deep down which clubs do and don't qualify for this. You can go down the Wolves this weekend or go down the Villa, but can you go down the West Ham or even the Hammers? It's one of those where you just know if it works or it doesn't. So the precise context here, Charlie, is telling someone that you're going down the X this weekend, which I think is a fairly regional thing anyway, but let's work with it. He says he doesn't accept the Spurs because... You could sing it, you know, oh, when the Spurs, etc. But you wouldn't accept it in, in conversation. How bad do you feel about that instinctively? Well, there is, before each game, Paul Coit, who's the kind of stadium announcer, he'll say, and up the Spurs. So it is used. In a sort of self-contained phrasing, though, you wouldn't use it in conversation. It's difficult. I mean, the Arsenal, Davis is, is set in stone. Like, that, that's, a, that's a conversational the. John Keogh continues, you can go down the borough this weekend. You can't go down... The Mags or the Black Cats. Cut down the Newcastle. But you could say the tune. I do know somebody who supports West Ham. And I don't know whether this is just him doing it, whether it's a West Ham thing or how he's picked, Barry's picked it up from somewhere else. But he does often refer to them as the West Ham. Let's hear a little bit more from John Keogh trying to explain exactly where he's setting the dividing line. 
Right, so I'm going down the current table. You can't go down the Liverpool or the Reds. You can go down the Arsenal. You can go down the Villa. You can't go down the City, I don't think. You, I don't think you can go down the Spurs. I'd, I'd say no. You can't go down the United. You can't go down the Newcastle. You could possibly go down the Toon. Not sure. Brighton, I think you can go down the Albion. You can't go down the Hammers or the West Ham. You can go down the Chelsea, specifically the Chelsea. You can't go down the Brentford or the Bees. You absolutely can go down the Wolves. You can't go down the Bournemouth or the Cherries. You can't go down the Fulham. You can't go down the Palace, I don't think. You can't go down the Forest or the Reds. You can't go down the Everton, but you could potentially go down the Ev. You can't go down the Luton. You can't go down the Burnley. You can't go down the... Yeah. <laughs> the Ev, is that a thing? I think the Ev is a thing, but it, but that's an interesting... Um, as is the Chelsea, Charlie. Where I know the Chelsea, short, yeah. Yeah. If you shorten the, the club's name, that it becomes something else entirely. Like, it becomes a concept, and therefore you're going down to it. So it can take the preposition. So... Once you mould it into something else other than, you know, specifically the team or the club, then, then you can it's, it. it's, it's a thing, yeah. But otherwise, in things like the Albion, so, I don't, when, when if it, if it, Dave, if it's a concept you can get hold of in, in a, you know, in a kind of conceptual sense, then it becomes a thutable, right? It's a difficult one. It's a slippery one. But I've, I think we've got to try. We've got to do it. But I just, I think it doesn't work for clubs that share where there are more than one of them. So the Albion could be Brighton, could be West Brom. But that doesn't matter. If you're, if you're conversing with your fellow fans mm. of the same club, that doesn't make any difference. Yeah, they're not going to be confused. <laughs> <laughs> you're, off, you're off to the Hawthorns this weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Long way to travel. The Spurs is a tricky one. The, the Spurs is probably the real kind of edge case here. All the others are fairly clear cut, Charlie. Could you, would you throw the Spurs in if you were a fan of the club I think you say I'm going I'm going down the lane or something I think would be your with your shorthand there you're either a club that has a, an acceptable the and if you don't you just say your ground going down the Vic yeah I mean yeah It'd be, it would be odd to specify the club, wouldn't it, if you were already established as a fan of that club? I mean, the Ar- the Arsenal, I know, really annoys, say, Spurs fans because they think it's really sort of elevates them too far. Up your own it? arse, yeah. Like where, yeah, sort of where where does that come from? But it's definitely a thing. Is it part of their actual name, or historically has it ever been part of their name? They're no. not the Arsenal Football Club. Like it is the Celtic Football Club, for example. No, which I oh. think is why maybe people think it's a bit affected. Maybe, yeah. Right, couple of. More traditional poses for you now. Dave, Chris Swan writes in and says, what's the deal with taking the sting out of the game? Does every game start with a sting and an event happens to remove it? Can a sting be added? If so, what does it look like? What is the sting of a game, Dave? I think it's like the sting is specifically the attacking threat of the other team getting back into the game and threatening your dominance. That's the sting. I don't think a sting is sort of general competitiveness of the game. So if you're winning and then you're, and you're, you've decided to sort of slow it down, keep possession, you know, like a Man City or a Barcelona, some sort of high possession team who are tuning up or whatever, and they just, they're just, they've taken this thing out of the game. They're, they're being maybe overly cautious, but they don't, they don't want to leave the back door open, as it were. But I think there would have to have been something for them to do. I don't think you would just do, if they were just in control the whole time, I think what you'd, you'd say it often as well, if the crowd are up as well, you'd say, and they're like, ah, they've just managed to take this thing out of this a little bit the last five. Like, so some pressure was building. Yeah. Yeah. But then in this kind of self-contained little period, they've managed to just quieten the fans down a bit, be that yes. through slowing the play down or whatever. 
So it's a doubly reactive situation. The sting came about because the other team needed to act upon the deficit and needed to get back into the game. And the sting was then taken out by the dominant team, sort of keeping mm. them at arm's length, saying, actually, no, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, but so the sting does not inherently exist in a game, Charlie. That's fair to say, isn't it? Yes, I would agree. There, there is yeah. not always a sting. Good, good. That's an easy one for us. Good. What about this? George writes in, Charlie, and says, what's the latest you could say there's still a long way to go in this game? I wouldn't be shocked to hear it shortly after an underdog took the lead in the 65th minute. Well, yeah, 25 minutes to go is still a long way to go mm. in this game. Because there are two issues at play here. Charlie, it's not just a time thing. It's not just a temporal thing. This isn't just about, is there enough time to sustain a narrative chapter of this game? It's about, well, it is. It's about narrative as well. It's like, there's, you know, things can still happen. It can be turned around. Is there a twist? Yeah. I, I think context is so important here. I mean, like the what's one of the the hardest one of the hardest things to do is say beat City at the Etihad. If you're a lower league team in an FA Cup tie, or even if you're Luton in you know the reverse fixture of yesterday's game, I think even if I think you could be well into the 80s, especially with how much stoppage time there is now of oh, saying okay. like, you know, there's a, you know. How late? You, well, I think you could say something. Even if Luton, if, if Luton went ahead, even like the 85th, you say, the, the, there's a long way to go. There's but- a long way to go. Ooh, no, you wouldn't say there's a long way to go. You would say there's, there's enough time. There's still time. Still time for City to get back in, but you wouldn't say there's a long way to go because there just no, isn't. you wouldn't. There just isn't a long way to go. There's like three attacks maximum going to happen. But you don't mean it literally. I think you're just saying like, I don't, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves because so much could still happen here. But this would be a huge victory for Luton. All those things are correct, but you still wouldn't say there's a long way to go. It's (laughs) just, you just wouldn't say it, would you? But, but we are getting closer to the point here. Dave, I think as, as, you know, three of us are football fans and we have, we regularly watch games in which we have vested interests. So we have become, as most football fans have, at one with the clock. When you glance at the clock in a game, you, you know what it means in terms of the narrative. It speaks to you. Yeah, it does. So right, your team is chasing the game and it's 72 minutes to go. In my head, I think to myself, well, there's another 10 before it's 82. And that's when I would start to worry about it not happening. So the 70 to the 80 mark is crucial for me if you're chasing a game because it, 70 to 80 is like, it's the natural flow of the game. You don't have to start throwing the kitchen sink. The next 10 minutes, something normal could happen and you could equalise. So it's definitely beyond the 70th minute that you can go. There's still a long way to go in this game because nobody panics really in the 70th. 75th, maybe not even then. So I would say you could go as far in the game, Dave, as 78 and there's still a long way to go. Accounting for injury time. Well, the injury time does... does ruin a lot of these debates, doesn't it, injury time? It's quite annoying. Well, especially with this, you know, the, this, the situation we've got at the moment where upwards of eight minutes is, 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 you know, could be expected, even if you don't, even if you don't really know can't really think of any any reason for there to be that you kind of you kind of have to guard against it in your head going oh they could, you never know with this injury time there could be there could be 10 minutes but has it made its way into the kind of cultural kind of absorption of football drama now do we really factor in the fact that there will be a minimum of like six seven eight minutes of injury time now I have started to do it in a few games lately what Watford have scored a couple of late goals recently and like come from behind and stuff to get points and that 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 initial instinct that you talked about of looking at the score clock in the stadium and going oh god 80 86 minutes this is getting away from us you think oh actually no because there could be could actually be 13 14 minutes left here that's really interesting to me because it was always going to shift charlie because that's just it's a fairly clear-cut situation but it still takes some shifting and i still think though if you equalize in after 89 minutes and 47 seconds there's still gonna be a like of oh they've done it at the very last They've got there in the end. And 
there could well be like 11 minutes of injury time after that. It, it has changed. In, in what you were saying, Anne, about being so familiar with the clock, it has changed because especially if you're watching one of your rivals and even if they draw, it's quite a good result. Normally, when they're if they're losing 1-0, for me, normally, prior to this season and like really long injury times, once it gets to about 85, I'm kind of like, well, they're not going to win from here. Like I relax a little bit because I'm like, even if they get a late equaliser, I'm not, I'm still kind of happy because they've drawn and they've dropped two points. But now... I feel like if then you're, you're still on edge until far later because like they there are so many like come from behind to wins and and with with all the added time until I don't know even until like ninety three or something I'm still thinking they they could probably still win it from here. Okay, no, um, let's ignore the original point and nail this one instead. <laughs> if your team are winning one nil or you know a goal ahead, at what point of injury time? How much injury time does there have to be left maximum for you to think? It's going to be all right. I would, I would say ninety seconds. Ninety seconds to me. I do a little mental calculation. I think there'll be two attacks maximum here, and then the rest will be just be kicking the ball downfield, recycling the ball. It's going to be fine. So I think to myself, two more attacks. So ninety seconds. If it's two minutes, Dave, I think we're in trouble. Ninety seconds, probably all right. Mm, no, for me, it's in. in could be as, as little as like thirty seconds, depending on the match situation. But if if I if if I think we're still in the period where there could be one more chance then I think there's, yeah, there is a chance you can fuck it up. The natural pessimism there is fine, Charlie, but it has to tally with your natural optimism if it was the other way around. So I think 30 seconds wouldn't be enough for me to think, oh, we can still do it. But a minute and a half, I think, oh, there's still a couple of attacks here. In a more rational way. What I love as well, just on that, and Dave's saying there, and I feel this is a, not recent, but it was. De- I definitely remember a moment it became a thing where commentators could just say, well, they'll get a chance. They'll get a chance with complete certainty. And it was like, how do you know that? It's just such a thing that people say and it's kind of taking this, yep. Is there to be one final twist? Why do they say it like that? Why do they say, is there to be? At least that's a question because <laughs> you don't know. But it's just, it's, it's, you'll hear it so often. Be like, They'll get one more. They'll get one more chance just where they can take it. You don't know if they will. In the recent Man United Galatasaray game, Rio Ferdinand and Robbie Savage were on co-coms that night on TNT and they were both absolutely, I'm sure both of them said it more than once. There will be one more chance. There will be one more chance for United. And I, and I kind of think there, maybe there was sort of a half chance at the end from a corner or something. It's kind of bulletproof kind of received wisdom, isn't it, Charlie? You can basically get away with saying it, right? Because even if there isn't one, you'll be fine. Exactly. No one's ever going to be like, <laughs> apologies to viewers at home. There wasn't one more chance in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, sort of being ominous for the sake of potentially it paying off, I think. Right. Final item of the adjudication panel this time comes from Callum. Um, now, we talk about B in sports quite a lot. Their bombastic coverage that tends to get very lively in the studio. But over in the uh, tunnel area, Callum asks if they have the most softly spoken post-match interviewer of all time. ASMR levels, he says. Here he is with Sofian Amrabat after Manchester United's win over Chelsea. How do you feel and how do you analyse today's result? Yeah, of course, I'm very happy. Um, it's so sensual. <laughs> wow. Incredible. <laughs> um, so that, in isolation, Charlie, is... is it, I wasn't prepared for it. I mean, we've... I mean, no. I guess Patrick Davison is as close to he gets to, as chilled out as that over here, but it doesn't even come close. It was, but yeah. it was so soothing. Yeah, really soothing. But let's test him out in a slightly different context. Here he is with Sean Dyche after Everton's win over Chelsea. The last minutes in the match was tough and painful, you know, so did you enjoy that? You don't enjoy it, but it, but it's good to see a team find different ways of operating, you know. We've... The contrast. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy that? 
Well, get him on Sky. Get him on TNT at least. Get him over. Make a star of this guy. Um, time for Keys in Grey Corner. <laughs> So much we could have covered here, Charlie. There was um, Kesey going in on Mikel Arteta again about his uh, extra touchline behaviour. So this is when he charged down the touchline to celebrate the late winner against Luton, um, which he thought was disgusting. Again, he claimed that Bruno Fernandes had deliberately got booked (laughs) against Bournemouth so that he would miss Manchester United's game against Liverpool, which he then had to retract in the most keezy kind of grudging way in his blog on Monday morning saying, if, if I'm wrong, so be it. <laughs> I, I take it back and I apologise because apparently Phil Neville called him out. So that we found someone who can challenge him intellectually. It's Phil Neville. Yeah, amazing. I saw that. I was just like, you just low-key libeled someone, but, you know, it's keezy. You'll you'll blithe it out somehow. But yeah, quite an accusation to make of someone that they've deliberately got themselves booked to miss one of the biggest games of the season but on what what was his grounds he just he's that bad a captain he couldn't be asked it was yeah, like a direction yeah, of duty a nightmare i don't want to be there nil. so he right. thought i don't want to go back okay, there yeah. again just Fair. highly yeah. unlikely um <laughs> gray just keeping out of it as well saying well i, I didn't see that um <laughs> elsewhere dave there was you know the usual stuff about ten Hag and his situation becoming untenable chelsea are going nowhere under mauricio pochettino but my favorite bit and this works just about right for a podcast here's andy gray for once demonstrating a headbutt on Jason McAteer. They were talking about Bruno Guimaraes going head-to-head with Eve Bissouma during Tottenham versus Newcastle. And uh, Andy Gray really felt the need to publicly and physically demonstrate it on Jason McAteer, and it was really good fun. Locked heads. So their heads were touching each other. Right? Right, I'm going to show you. Come back in the studio. Right, come here. No, 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 there's oh, no... Oh, I, 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 yeah. I didn't demonstrate a head No, no, no. No, I'm right. going to... Right? Am yeah, I safe? Stay over that side, yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting here. Right, see it. Right. Yeah, uh, what they did, they did that, right? And then push, push against me. Just push that. Oh, okay. <laughs> see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's not a headbutt. It's quite a good demonstration. What, I what, know. His point, for those, I mean, for those who got to see, none of you can see. Uh, <laughs> he's saying that it looks like a headbutt, but actually it's because Basuma moves back. So actually they're just head to head. I mean, it's brilliant. Like do you, They used to do this and it was like pre-viral content. But I remember there was one where Gray was making the point that you can't jump up without using your elbow. <laughs> because I think some player had got in trouble for elbowing. So he, yeah. he, he and Keezy did it. And they then... <laughs> And then Sky pushed it loads on their kind of, mm. you know, montages that were actually all about Sky. Uh, and then I'm sure it was used on the Premier League years as well. I mean, you do see a bit of physical punditry now, Dave. You see sort of the Monday Night Football gang sort of acting out some really tactical situations or maybe like a, a bit of sort of physical defending. So you're just, just edging them out the way like that. You stand there like that. If I'm like this, you can't get past me. But I want to see more stuff like this. Genuinely violent conduct being acted out in the studio. It's fantastic. What's next? <laughs> I liked I liked Gray, his tone of voice when he was reassuring McAteer. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. Just be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. If it would have been perfect. His bedside manner would be amazing. It would have been Gray, perfect, though, if he'd, ended it, if he'd ended it and just gone, that's a headbutt. <laughs> <laughs> he asked if the VAR was from Glasgow, by the way. Excellent stuff. Keezy staying well out of it. Like, literally couldn't be further from it as well, as you would imagine he would be in those situations. Right. Great adjudication panelling. Well done to you, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. Thanks to you, Dave Walker. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. Back on Thursday. See ya. <laughs>